Today, we have another segment of Ask Rachel here on the show. And uh, we talk a bit about sleep, particularly sleep training, and whether or not I think that's the road to go. I share what I did with Leia and how I'm doing things quite a bit differently this time around with Finn. I also talk about relationships and repairing, how it is inevitable that we will make mistakes and that we will say things that we don't mean, but that the key to a lasting relationship, whether it's a relationship with our spouse or the relationship with our kids or our friends, is learning the life skill of being able to repair. I also share a bit about how my inner critic has been really loud in many different areas of my life right now and how I'm dealing with that. And I give a little update on my new non-vegan diet, just what it feels like to eat a whole wide variety of foods and how my body is responding to that. So it's kind of a big and wide episode. I had so much fun answering these questions. Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years, and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy, and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned, and you'll be left feeling silky, soft, and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Ondaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with their signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's jump in. All right, friends. Hello, hello. It's that time of the week. Time for a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. I am sure you can tell my voice is extra low and sexy this week. (laughs) I am uh, really happy to say I'm actually coming out of a pretty bad cold. Today is the first day I feel better. I've really been kind of feeling worse every day, a little bit worried about where this cold is taking me. Today is the first day I woke up feeling actually better. And uh, I don't know, it took me by surprise a little bit. Dennis and Leia have, since school started, just kind of cycled through so many different kinds of colds and coughs and just, you know, being stuffy and not feeling great, just that kind of like back to school, you know, germs and... (laughs) viruses and everything is just back now after summer. And I felt great all throughout. I felt like I had superpowers, maybe because of nursing or breastfeeding or taking really good care of myself as well these days. And then all of a sudden I got this cold and it was bad. I'm kind of surprised at how terrible it was. It's my first 
actual illness since pre-pregnancy. So basically in a year, I haven't been sick in a year. And uh, I don't know, it came with a vengeance, I guess. I have just, yeah, I've had a crazy, crazy bad headache. I've had fevers on and off. And then the worst part, okay, I'm not going to give you too much information because it's gross, but the amount of phlegm coming out of me. (laughs) I don't even know how I'm still producing any, like what? It's been really bad. And it's so hard taking care of a three-month-old when you're sick. I mean, that is just, it's just so heavy, so intense. And on the days where I had a fever, it's like I couldn't even, you know, really hold him and walk around with him and put him to bed. And I'm really happy Dennis has been home with me this week. And um, we had two days in a row where he did 100% of the naps. All of them. I mean, it's pretty remarkable, right? Literally. And I feel that's a really beautiful outcome of this week is I know now fully, or we all know now, like he's 1000% good. If he had boobs, he could just have the baby all day. So it's been, uh, yeah, it's been kind of a shitty week, but I'm really glad I'm finally starting to feel better. Today, we are going to do an episode of Ask Rachel. I feel like you guys are sending me such thoughtful questions. Actually, last week, I feel like I, I could have recorded for two or three hours. I really love the questions that you're you're sending in. And I love how somehow they tend to resonate with so many. I always hear that from you after one of these episodes, that people are asking the same things or similar things that you are sitting with or that you have on your mind. And oftentimes it relates just so deeply to what I'm going through as well. So yeah, let's just jump in. So as usual, I haven't heard any of these questions beforehand. As you know, I I don't, you know, prepare any answers or anything. This is just me literally speaking from the heart. So let's see where we start. Hi, Rachel. My name is Amy. I'm a big fan of yours. I've been following you for a long time. And you actually inspired me to also become a stand-up paddleboard yoga instructor. But I'm calling because I have a question. And I've been thinking a lot about the nurture revolution. I have two young kids, one just turned one years old, and we're struggling in the sleep department a little bit. I feel so much pressure from everybody to sleep train, and yet my instincts tell me not to. So on one end, where I find myself is wanting to nurture my baby as much as possible. And on the other end is sleep training. And I'm just wondering how you plan to go about, I don't know, finding finding what's best for you and, and staying true to that, especially when the support for maternal and, you know, family systems is just so lacking here in the United States. You talk a lot about the villages and I feel like we don't have um, a huge village so it's a little hard to always nurture if that means that I'm also so exhausted all of the time yeah what does that balance look like for you or what do you imagine it like thanks so much and I look forward to hearing your response oh hi Amy Okay, so there's no no shocker here that this has been on my mind a lot. <laughs> Some things are going to be less like synchronistic and oh my God, I can't believe you're asking this question. I'm literally contemplating the same thing. Wow. Whenever it comes to baby stuff, obviously, it's all on my mind all the time. 
so I, I, I think about this a lot. And I think we have ended up in a place in society that is so far from what actually is natural when it comes to mothering. And it's really, really challenging to know what to do with that because reality is that we are where we are and we live lives that look the way they do. So how do we possibly find a balance between listening to what our intuition tells us and at the same time make it through our day-to-day lives, like make everything work? It's really a challenge. And one of the great big lies, I feel, that society tells us these days and has for a long time is that babies are supposed to sleep through the night. That that is the norm, that if your baby is not sleeping like six to six or seven to seven or a whole night through, then you're somehow behind or your baby is not as amazing or um, you're failing a little bit. It's just, it's, it's not normal. I really don't think so. You know, if if you look at what nature intended, I don't think the norm is for any baby to sleep through the night. Now, some babies magically do. They just do without any, you know, sleep training or coaching or all the things that that they offer these days. Some, Some babies just do. Most babies don't. And there is a biological reason for that. There is a biological reason why our babies wake up multiple times a night, why we need to nurse and feed our babies throughout the night. There is a reason, I think, why our babies want to be close to us at night and why we are also hardwired to want to feel our babies close. But now having a baby that wakes up multiple times a night, having our sleep disturbed for a long time, it does not align with a working life. It does not align with having to, you know, having our days flow the way most of our days look like in this modern world. For me, when I had Leia and she went through her, she slept really well the first couple of months. And then when she turned four, she had this big, everyone knows the four months like sleep regression or, you know, like sleep all of a sudden gets different at four months for many, many babies. And um, I could not cope. I literally could not cope. It was probably one of the one of the harder times in my entire life. I have never felt more terrorized. More, I felt like I was undergoing some form of really cruel torture. I cried every day. My mental health was just down the drain. Uh, I felt worthless, horrible. I mean, and we know when we don't sleep, everything that's already hard gets so much harder. Uh, And for me, I think the biggest reason why I literally could not manage was because I had to wake up every single day and be on for what felt like the whole world. Like I woke up every day and I had a million things that I had to get done. I had to perform. I had to be on stage. I had to be in photo shoots and interviews and big meetings. And I had to kind of, you know, put on makeup and put on this big, brave face of like, look at me, I have all of my shit together. And I had to be on And doing all of that and carrying the pressure and the burden of living that kind of high, yeah, high pressure, high intensity working lifestyle, it did not work. I mean, literally, uh, at the end of the day, I just, I, I, I just couldn't stop crying because I felt like everything was just falling apart. And instead of looking at it as, hmm, you know, it probably is that this lifestyle, is, is this lifestyle supporting my mothering? Or could it be that this way of life isn't in alignment with being recently postpartum and having a four-month-old baby at home? 
instead of thinking of it that way, which is how I look at it now, I looked at it as what's wrong with my baby? Why isn't my baby sleeping? I hear of all these other babies, they're sleeping all night long. Everyone else is getting great night's sleep. They're putting their babies down, you know, before dinner time. And then they're having dinners alone with their spouses. And they have like, you know, this amazing alone time at night and they have their lives back. And like, what's wrong with my baby? Why isn't my baby sleeping? <laughs> and I know now there's nothing wrong with my baby at all. There's literally nothing wrong with her. She was perfectly normal. What was wrong was this idea that I had that I would be able to work at that capacity and also nurse full-time and also be a mother to this little baby girl and then have all of that function. You know, that that equation just doesn't work. Something has to shift. Something had to had to go. And um what we did then is we did this form of like gentle sleep training with her, which ended up working really well, but it was it was so hard took a really long time. We didn't do any of the crying thing. It's not a kind of sleep training where you leave your baby to cry, but we did this thing where you gradually, little by little, every day you make a tiny, tiny, tiny incremental shift in how you're putting your baby to sleep to bring them more autonomy and to bring them more independence. So as an example, it would start as Leia falling asleep on the boob with a nipple in her mouth kind of thing like you know and I had to wait till she's completely dead asleep like so 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 sleepy and then attempting some kind of transfer right and then she would wake up after 20 minutes so instead of doing that like the first step I remember was like don't let her fall asleep with the nipple in the mouth (laughs) so the first step was just when she's really drowsy really 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 sleepy but she's not quite asleep yet I would just like use my finger and get the nipple out of her mouth and let her take that last five seconds to sleep. That would happen on her own, right? Not with a nipple in her mouth. The next step was to not nurse her to sleep, to nurse her to almost sleep, right? And then like put her in bed or wherever she was sleeping and then, you know, staying like right there, holding her, hugging her. And then every day we made like a tiny little incremental shift like that. And it took two months, I think, I think six weeks or two months of that, where at the end of it all, she was able to kind of wide awake, be put down and could fall asleep. And I was so happy about that. I've never felt more excited about anything. I was like, I felt like it it shifted everything and made everything so much easier. But I really look at that now. And I I don't think I would do the same thing these this time around. I, I just, I just don't, not that there was anything inherently, I think, you know, wrong with that, or I don't think we were, you know, like we harmed her or anything was terrible or bad with that. I think it was the way for me to cope and make it through my day was I needed her to sleep on her own in her own room. But the way I look at mothering now and what feels more natural for me is I want to keep my baby close. And I think because I was more disconnected then because I had other priorities then because I was so burnt out, stressed out. I wasn't able to really feel that instinct in the same way. And I actually felt a huge relief when she slept in her own space because it meant like I could, it means it meant I could take my eyes off the ball a little bit and shift more awareness back toward myself and nurture myself more, which I desperately needed because I felt like I was falling apart. And this time around, I don't feel that way. This time around, I'm home. I'm actually home with my baby. I'm not working. I'm not 
doing a million things. I'm not torn between her and the rest of the world or between him and the rest of the world. And I actually feel just from having that ability to just be home and having a no pressure kind of lifestyle where if we have a bad night's sleep, it is okay. Like it sucks. It's always going to suck to not sleep through the night. It's always going to be so hard to have all these wakings. Like it's part of it. But if I have a hard night the next day, I don't have to, I don't have to teach yoga to 500 people and, you know, look like I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> I can stay in my PJs all day and sit on the couch and like, it's more manageable. And because I don't feel that pressure, I also don't feel that urgency of like, I have to separate, I have to teach him to live on his own or to be on his own or fall asleep on his own. And I actually don't know if that's a natural thing to do. I think if if we had the luxury, because unfortunately it is a luxury and I'm well aware the fact that I get to stay at home and be with my baby and just be a mom shouldn't be a luxury. It should be what goes for every mother who wants that. But it is. It's a privilege. It's a luxury. Most places don't allow that. I know in the States it's it's really truly awful and people have to get back to work so early. So it's like if you don't have the luxury to stay home, if you don't have that privilege and you have to wake up in the morning and get to work, what do you do? You know, how do you make it through the through the night? So I, I'm not one of those people that's like kind of dogmatic about, you know, here's what's right and what's wrong. I know there's a lot of in the natural, I'm using little air quotes here, natural mothering community where you co-sleep and you homeschool and you do all the things that way. I feel like they can sometimes be a little bit judgmental toward mothers who choose to do differently or who maybe have to do differently. So I don't think there is a one size fits all there. And I think we need to just give ourselves some grace and not judge other mothers for doing what they have to do to make it through. So if you're at a place where you're like, I need a shift, I need a change, I'm not going to make it, I'm going to fall apart, I'm not going to be able to be a good mother for my kids if I don't get some sleep. Like, yeah, you need to do something. You need to to get some help in some way. And I don't know what that's going to look like. But if you feel like, okay, this is hard. It's hard to wake up throughout the night. Like, I wish I was more rested, but like, I I got it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm grounded. I'm okay. Then I would, I would keep going in the way that feels most natural, which I think, and at least is for me now, is just nursing him at night and sleeping in bed with him really closely and and it's 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 okay right it's hard but it's okay the sleep coaching because it wasn't sleep training kind of that gentle sleep coaching with it with Leia was with a woman called the sleep lady her name is Kim West I really think she's super sweet and she has this gentle approach where there is no crying it's not like you leave your baby to cry it out I think and I say this, you know, with as little judgment as possible, but I think leaving your baby to cry it out, I, I, I really don't think that that's, that that's a, what's a kind word to use here? I don't want to say proactive. I think that backfires. I think the reason, I mean, every bone in our bodies, when we hear our babies cry, tells us no, right? Stop it. I don't think it's the natural way to go. And I don't think it's, the right thing to do. It's not for us anyway. But if that's the way, oh God, you guys can tell I'm struggling so hard to to be inclusive here of everyone because I know people do this. It's just not at all for me. I don't think that that's a natural kind thing to do. And I think we feel that in our bodies with the idea of leaving our babies to scream. No. 
And I also think this idea that like babies are supposed to know how to self-soothe, they're supposed to know how to take care of themselves and supposed to know how to put themselves to sleep. I think if, if they were supposed to do all of that, they would already be doing it. Like they are so tiny and helpless. And we know that these early months and this first year, like it's, it's literally how they attach to us, you know, it's how they form their foundation for trust in the world. It's literally like what's going to be in their backbone as they grow older. Is it going to be like when I'm scared, when I'm sad, like mom's there? Or is it when I'm scared and I'm sad, like no one's there to pick me up? And like somehow that that's that's the natural or like that's a normal way. I don't know. I'm I'm not at all for the the crying method, but I also have compassion for the fact that those methods exist and the fact that people feel like they have no resort but to use one of those methods because everything about our lives is set up against our ability to mother in a way that's that's calm and healing and easy. So it's also like if you feel like the only way for you to make it through your day is to leave your baby to cry it out so that they learn to fall asleep and sleep all night, it's probably because the rest of your life is not in alignment with you being able to mother in any other way. And that shit is not your fault. <laughs> like, it's not. The odds, the cards are really stacked against us here. So yeah, and it's it's kind of similar with when people ask me questions about screen time, you know, like, what do I think about screen time or giving your baby an iPad? It's like, no, I think, I think it's, I think it's shit. I think it's so bad. I think screens are just detrimental to our children's health. I think it's, I think they are the worst. I really hate them. And at the same time, if you're a, a single mom, that iPad might just save your life. Like literally that iPad might be the reason that you're not falling apart. That iPad might be self-care you know, fully. So it's like, it's easy to sit here if you have a lot of support and you're home all day and like, no, you know, I minimize screen time for my kids and they don't get to do that at all. But like, talk to a mother in another circumstance and it's not going to be, it's not going to be the same. So I don't know. I feel like with all these kind of things that are so sensitive because how we raise our kids, it's so sensitive. We all want to do it right. None of us want to fuck up. We're all so nervous that we're messing up our kids. You know, everything becomes so sensitive to even talk about. We have to talk about it with compassion and also understand that we got to where we are because we live in a world that is not set up for us to succeed as moms. And I know this is a topic for another day, but I was talking just with my two best friends about this just this week that this is very taboo to talk about, especially in Sweden where we live but the idea of like has kind of the fight for equality, like the fight for gender equality and the fight for feminism, like has it gone a little bit too far in that not only are we trying to have the same opportunities as men, but we're trying to be men. We're trying to, to, to do all the things that men do while we do all the things that we do as mothers. And, and somehow there, it's just, it's, it's too much, right? Like it's, it's actually literally too much. We can't be expected to work at that maximum capacity and climb this career ladder and succeed and then do that while being present mothers who keep it together, who aren't burning out. Like those things don't mesh well. And I think somehow we've ended up in a place now where 
a lot of us are just longing to go back to something that feels a little bit softer, that feels more intuitive, that feels more gentle. And I think it it starts not just with how we raise our kids, like whether or not we're sleep training and whether or not we give them screens and whether or not, you know, all those things, but but the bigger picture of how we are living our lives. And for me, the only way, the only way we have fit, the only reason we have Finn in our lives now is because I changed my entire life. If I lived the same lifestyle I did when I, when Leah was born, um, we would never have had a second baby. I just knew like I, I couldn't do that again. It was heartbreaking. It was so hard. And I burnt out at the end of that. So yeah, I hope I answered that question. I don't know if I did, um, but Amy, you're doing a great job. I just know, I just know you're doing a great job, a fantastic job. And um, there are ways, at least I believe so, where we can get more help and get more support around sleep that don't involve leaving our babies to cry it out, that don't involve rigid sleep training. And sometimes here, I feel like, you know, if we have a spouse, if we have a partner, like this is the time to really involve them. This week, I was really sick. And the day I had the highest fever, and in the night, I was alone with Finn. It was, so we have split up our sleep situation now is Dennis sleeps with Leia and Ringo. <laughs> and Finn and I sleep alone in the big bed. And it's just, the, it's just the thing that works the absolute best. And we have a lot of wakings at night, a lot. On a, on a hard night, it's like seven. He, he eats maybe seven times, basically like every other hour. And on an easier night, it's maybe three times but it kind of fluctuates between. And, you know, he doesn't cry. It's not, it's not, he's a, he's an easy baby at night compared to Leia at this age, who was just like up screaming, wailing, you know, like we would have to walk around and bounce her. And it was just despair all night long. Finn eats a lot and wakes to nurse a lot at night, but he doesn't wake up fully. He just stays in bed quietly. (laughs) So that's a big difference. But anyway, this week when I was this sick and I had a fever and then I had a, a night with him where I was just, I needed to blow my nose like 50 times in the night. But doing that would wake him up. So I would have to get out of bed, walk to the bathroom, close the door, blow my nose, like cough up a lung <laughs> with a fever, you know, and then go back and nurse him and like sleep. It was just a really, really hard night. So the next day I told Dennis, I'm like, hey, maybe you need to take tonight with Finn. And he's like, okay, no problem. Like, what do you need me to do? Like, how, how would we do that? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I would sleep in Leia's room and you just come get me when he needs to eat. Like, that's it. <laughs> and like, he's going to wake up a lot in between where he's not really awake, but he might rouse a little bit. And then you need to like put a little hand on his butt or hold him close and just like, you know, snuggle him. You're going to have to kind of find the difference between when is he hungry and eating and when is he just half waking because he he's a chaotic sleeper, this baby. Yeah, he doesn't wake up or cry, but he's like, <laughs> he moves a lot at night. And then as we were talking about that, I'm like, why haven't we talked about this before? Like, this is totally doable that I could sleep in another room and when he needs to eat, you get me. Like, then I would have at least those windows between eating, like that would be a deeper sleep for me. That would be a, we could totally do that. But I've just kind of, I don't know, because I didn't have that urgency to, I hadn't asked him, but I think there is a way to involve our partners and our people um, a little bit more, you know, especially when it comes to the things where we've kind of surrendered to like, oh, we're all alone with this. Like we're all alone in the night and we're all 
um, like it's okay to ask for help and to try to get creative to find ways to to make it because your health is so important and it, it affects how we're able to mother too. So um, yeah, good job in case you need to hear it. And uh, I hope you find a way to get some sleep. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where Ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Let's go to our next question. Hi, Rachel. I have my daughter, Garcia, you might hear her. Um, but anyways, I know that you know the world of very well. But I just wanted to ask you for stories or thoughts or feelings on how you navigate relationships um, or your relationship with Dennis and when it gets hard sometimes and how you stay connected or um, reconnect, um, repair and just keeping it real with sometimes it being hard, but um, it also still being good. So anyways, I just thought I would ask and see. Anyways, I will stop talking. Thank you so much, my dear. Oh, hi, love. And hi, little one. Oh, your little ones are always welcome here on the show. Okay. In this community, we we mother first and we do everything else second. So yes, hi, I'd love, love to hear her little voice. So we are talking about relationships and repair. I mean, this is a, this is a big thing, truly. So I am married to an amazing man. I mean, Dennis has so many amazing qualities. Like he's so kind-hearted. He is so humble, like truly so down to earth. He's really funny. He's an amazing dad. He has so many amazing qualities. And for a very long time in our relationship, the ability to repair was not one of them. And this has been a big point of contention in our relationship. And, you know, the ability to repair, this is, it's, maybe the most important life skill that we can learn if we want to have healthy relationships. 
And it's also, I think, the most, the most probably important skill to have around parenting. If we want to have a good relationship with our kids and we want to raise grounded, safe feeling kids. And if we want to raise children who in turn know how to repair. And I wasn't taught this when I was little. And the way we teach it is by doing. So Leia has an amazing ability to repair. It's absolutely incredible. And not once have I sat her down to say, here is how you do this thing. When you make a mistake or you say something you don't mean, you go back to the person and you do so-and-so in this way. I've never had that conversation with her. She just innately knows in her bones how to repair because she's seen me do it all her life. And let me give an example of that. So yeah, so, so repairing, of course, is when we, you know, so we can control our ability to go back and repair when something is broken or when we have said something we don't mean, but we cannot control the fact that we are human and we are going to make mistakes. We will in our relationships with our spouses, we're going to say things we don't mean. We're going to have fights. Things are going to happen as parents. We are going to do things that we regret. We're going to snap at our kids. We're going to sometimes yell at our kids. We're going to say things we don't mean. We're going to have big reactions that we wish didn't happen, but they do, right? So just a a really simple example uh, of this. Uh, Yeah, this is a good example. So I grew up in a household, I think so many of us did, where it wasn't really okay to make messes. I remember, you know, if if I ever spilled something or broke something, it was this automatic like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Because someone would maybe yell at me or get upset with me or just be passive aggressive with me or outright aggressive if I made a mistake or spilled something or broke something. And this was a big thing. Uh, And I don't want to be that kind of parent. I make a huge effort, even though I hate messes because of this reason, probably because of how I grew up. I hate messes. I really do. I want things clean all the time. I hate it when things break. I I really, I, I have a hard time with messes in the house. So I have to actively, consciously make a massive effort to not react from that place when things get messy. And things get messy in this household every single day. We have children, like life is messy. So the other day, Leia broke, and this was after we were at the table. She has a hard time sitting still at the dinner table. We work on this all the time. She will kind of pop out of her seat to like go and cuddle with Finn or to go grab something, or she's not sitting calmly in her seat. She falls out of her seat all the time. Like she's, she's six years old. Sitting still is really hard. We're working on this. And she had already gone out of her seat to do something twice. And each time she went really close to this candle holder that we have, that we always have had on our, on our um, diner t- dining table. And each time I said, honey, you're very close to that candle holder. Just be mindful when you're walking there. Please go back to your seat and stay seated while we're eating. She does it again. And I'm like now like a little annoyed that she's not listening. So go back again. Third time she pops up and she's popping up because she's really excited about something and she wants to show us something with her body and she knocks the candle holder over. And I have this gut reaction to the candle holder breaking. Like I'm already frustrated. I'm already a little bit annoyed. She's not listening. I already warned her about the candle holder and now it broke. And I have this big reaction where I'm like, oh, oh my God. And I'm just, look at what happened. Look, you know. And it's very quick. It's very short. It's like a three seconds, like, oh, like I'm pissed that this happened. And then I catch myself like, okay, this is not the parent I want to be. 
at all. This is old. This trigger, this reaction here is not, it's not what I want. I immediately gather myself and I go, hey, hey, it's, it's absolutely okay. That was totally fine. Hey, things happen. Things break all the time. There were messes all the time. I used to break so many things when I was little. Like, this is fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. We just clean it up. And then Leah looks at me and she's welling up and she has tears. And I, and I know like that was a moment where I broke something. She broke something, but I also broke something because I had this big kind of scary reaction, right? That I couldn't control. So we sweep everything up. We get the vacuum cleaner. We do the thing, you know, she's kind of, she's not crying or upset, but I can tell like things are not wonderful and great. She sits back down and there was a moment there where we could just like go back to eating dinner because we clean everything up and the moment's over, right? But it's not really. And I can feel that in my body. Like I, there's a disconnection here between us because I scared her with my big reaction. And she now thinks she did something wrong. Maybe she's sitting with shame. Like she's sitting with big feelings that don't have to be there because she's six years old and something broke and that does not matter shame matters, you know, a feeling of isolation or fear matters, like a disconnect between us matters. Candle holder does not matter, you know. So as soon as everything is ready and we're kind of sitting back down, I go to her and I swoop her up and I put her on my lap. I really put her in front of me and I look her in the eye and I say, hey, honey, I am so sorry I reacted that way. I'm so sorry. I used, I used my harsh voice I, was it scary when you heard my harsh voice? Yeah. And then she starts crying and I'm like, I'm, and I take that moment to just validate her feelings. Like I I know that must be very scary when mommy uses that voice. That is not a voice that I want to use when I'm talking to you. I did not mean for that voice to come out. I am so sorry. I got really scared when the candle holder fell. It was just a moment where I got really scared and I'm working on not using my harsh voice ever when I talk to you. I'm so sorry are you okay? I love you so much. I love you so much. And we have that moment. And that moment, it's just a couple of minutes of us, you know, and then I hold her and I hug her and she melts and then it's over. And when it's over, it's really over. You know, that, that fear of knocking things over or a shame that she did something wrong, like it's no longer lingering in her system because we regulated together and I came back and I repaired what I broke. And it's through this, right? So first of all, she has learned this ability to repair. So I've seen her so many times with friends, with us, like something happens. She will be pissed about something or yell about something. I mean, she's six. She does this all the time. She did it yesterday. She wanted to do something and we were doing something else. I'm like, hey, we're focusing on this now. And she got really pissed, but I want to go do this thing. And I'm like, well, we're doing this now. So when we're finished here, we can go and we can do that thing. I want to do it now. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that now. We're doing this. She leaves the room. She stomps away, you know. And then 20 minutes later, the moment, you know, everything's, she's forgotten about it and we're doing something else. And all of a sudden she comes to me. She goes, hey, mama, I'm so sorry. I was, I got so angry when I wanted to do that thing. And I'm like, oh, honey, that's okay. I know you really wanted to do that thing. Yeah, but I don't like what I said. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry I said it in that way. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you so much for coming back to me to say that. Yeah, you know. So she does that all the time and it's so magical. And when we're shown how to repair, it becomes this intrinsic thing that we know how to do. And it's relationship changing. And Dennis hasn't had this ability, just he wasn't taught it the way I was, but also didn't learn it later. 
And it's become one of these things where whenever we have little fights or little moments of stress or whatever, and I come back and I say, hey, I'm sorry I snapped at you. You know, I was just really tired or I'm, I'm sorry I said that thing. I didn't mean it. It came out that way. That I didn't, I didn't mean to say what I said, whatever it is I'm repairing for. Those are the moments where he goes, okay, I open the, the book to repair. So I open the door, I guess, to, to repair. Then he is reminded of that. Oh, right. Like that is important. And then he will come back and he will repair with me too. But the ability to just repair on his own, to initiate that on his own, he didn't have for a really long time. And that meant that all of those little arguments that we ever had, the little things that maybe don't matter so much in that moment, but they start to add up. They really do. Every little thing that we break that we don't repair lingers there and stays alive in that relationship until we actually come back and repair and close it. And it for a while was one of those things where I was like, hey, this is becoming a real issue in our relationship because I feel like whenever we have a fight now, not only are we having a fight about the current thing that we're fighting about, whatever that is, but the moment that fight starts, for me, the energy of all the unresolved things from the last fight that you didn't repair, they show up too. And I had to really sit him down and explain. I'm like, so it's like every time we have a silly fight about something, for you, it's just a silly fight about this one thing. But for me, it's the silly fight about this one thing. And it's the silly fight about the thing the week before and the other thing that wasn't repaired before. And all of a sudden, it becomes a massive thing. And all of a sudden, it becomes really emotionally charged. And it becomes about something so much bigger than it has to be because you didn't come back to me and repair those moments. And it really was like, um, I don't know, for, for me, when the moment I felt anyway that things started to change and he actually understood that this makes makes or breaks our relationship, it it made the biggest difference, really did. Because we can mess things up, we can say the wrong thing, but if we can come back and we can fix that afterwards, then everything is okay. It's like the most foundational thing. And for some of us, it's easier to do that than for others. Like obviously for me, that's an easier thing than it is for him. And then he has tons of qualities that are come easier for him than they do for me. I mean, obviously all, <laughs> we have our strengths and our weaknesses in each relationship. But if it's something that I would just really, I don't know, recommend or some advice to give is that we sit with our partners and we really look at what is our ability to repair in this relationship? Is one of us doing it more than the other? How does it change the dynamic of our relationships when we actually both learn this really important life skill? And what are some examples of what that could look like? And I think for a long time, I mean, Dennis is an Aries also, and Aries is a very fiery, kind of proud person. I think for a while, he looked at repairing as like admitting you were wrong. And that's not what repairing is. You know, you can have a debate or a discussion where you disagree on something and you can come back and you repair the tear in the relationship without saying, hey, I'm admitting I was wrong. Because sometimes we're just, you know, disagreeing on something. And that's okay because it's not the disagreement in itself that's hurtful. It's the things that we say that we don't mean that hurt, right? So yeah, so making that a central piece of the relationship, I think is so important. And it's really the thing that's made the biggest difference for us is just having that evolve and grow 
and him getting better, better at that and us both focusing on, on making a point of coming back to do that. And then I think the thing that is, um, <laughs> that keeps us connected, I really think so, is we have little rituals in our day that we do, little things that we do together that we come back to every single day, no matter what's going on. And probably the most important thing is that we drink coffee together every morning. We sit down for breakfast. We're not having breakfast at the same time every day anymore because oftentimes some, you know, Finn needs one of us then. Sometimes we eat in intervals these days. But there is a moment every single morning where Dennis makes us coffee and we sit down without our phones. There's no screen, there's no TV, there's no distraction. And we just talk. Like we have that window in the morning and sometimes we go through our day. Sometimes we talk about a problem one of us is having. Sometimes we gossip about something. Sometimes we, you know, it's like we're just like connecting, just talking, drinking coffee. And that's a non-negotiable. That's our everyday. And literally like we won't plan things in the morning. If, even if we have a busy day, like we always leave that window in the morning to make sure that we have that just the two of us. I mean, it's the two of us and Finn now, but you know what I mean. Um, and for some people, that's maybe a weekly thing. I don't know, like you have a date night every week where you're undisturbed. For us, it's more important that we have that, like it can be a shorter window, but that it's every day. I think it's more important that we have that point to connect every day than having two hours alone once a week or something like that. So yeah, I don't know if this answers your question well, but these are just two things off the top of my head or that are alive in me as I answer this question now that feel really important is the ability to repair from both parties. And if one of us is challenged in that area, that we actually take it seriously and work on it. And then that sacred space to connect every day. So finding a window that, that works for you. For us, it's the morning because we don't have to rush away and we both you know, work from home or we are home. But maybe for you, that's at the end of the day when the kids are asleep or it's a call in the middle of the day at lunch or, you know, that you have that every day. I think that's, yeah, a good thing to have. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's um, take another question. Hi, Rachel. This is Christy. I, gosh, I have a lot on my mind. Um, <clears throat> I've got two kiddos at home, and um, so my brain is a little scattered. But I've been thinking about you a lot with your switch from veganism to eating all the things now and wondering um, what's that been like with dealing with people who were vegan? Do you still have friends who are vegan? Um, yeah, just kind of all of that with dealing with going from one end of the spectrum to the other and what that's, what that's been like because, um, you know what, I was a vegetarian for a long time and then started incorporating all sorts of other foods into my diet and, um, it's just, it's, it's interesting and I wonder, 
yeah, where what that's been like for you, um, because you were you were hardcore vegan there for a while. So any thoughts, welcome. Thanks. Bye. Oh, hi, Chrissy. Hi. Well, this is, uh, first of all, it's a question I get all the time, because I was a hardcore vegan, not just for a little while, but for like a decade. <laughs> and very vocal about that as well. So I still get every single day, uh, whenever I share something that's not vegan that I'm eating, which I share a lot now without holding back, I get someone asking like, what? I thought you were vegan. What happened? Sometimes people ask with curiosity. Sometimes they ask with excitement because they've been in the same change or going through the same thing. Sometimes they ask with major judgment. And sometimes they just write me hate. <laughs> like I get a lot of hate from vegans still, but less and less though, I gotta, I gotta say. So the number one most important thing that I, that I have to start by sharing is how big of a difference I feel in my health and in my body since I stopped being vegan. If there was any gray area there where I like didn't know if there was a big difference or if it wasn't a remarkable night and day kind of shift in how I feel, how I feel in terms of how I feel nourished, how I feel full how I feel healthy. If it wasn't a drastic shift there, I wouldn't be as confident in what I share and how I talk about this now. But there is, there, there absolutely is. Since I stopped depriving myself, which is now kind of how I look at my time as a vegan, I was extremely restrictive um, where I looked at food as like things were existing in different camps and most things were in the camp of I'm not allowed that or the camp of that's bad for me or the camp of that's not acceptable, you know, to, to, to eat. I was very, very harsh on other people and on myself in terms of what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. And I really had to maintain that harshness because if I open even a tiny little window of, well, maybe it's okay to just eat what you want to eat, then I would start to question myself and how I was, how I was dealing with being vegan because it was a big challenge for a long time. I mean, it was always kind of in the back of my head all the time of going to a restaurant and here's the menu and here's 95% of this I'm not eating. And not just from, from the standpoint of being vegan in a non-vegan world, and if we lived in a vegan world, it would be easy, but from the standpoint of living in a body where most food was not acceptable to me. So I kind of, I had this big, just restrictive mindset all the time, and this good or bad when it came to food, this is good, this is bad. And now, just my whole mindset has shifted so completely, where even... I I'm, 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 I really don't think anything, and I'm talking about food now, real food. I, I do think that lab-made additives and colorings and preservatives and things, those kinds of things, I, I don't look at that as food, but I'm talking about food. And that includes sugar, includes gluten, includes bread, includes pasta and white flour and... Uh, uh, ice cream and like like everything that that even things that would fall as like this is not good for you food like all food I now just look at as food and not as good or bad allowed or not allowed and that has really changed how I feel just navigating this world 
physically I feel stronger, I feel replenished, I feel energized, I sleep better, I feel full after my meals, which is something I didn't even realize I didn't do as a vegan. I thought it was normal to just be a little bit hungry all the time or kind of have to eat two hours or an hour after I ate, that that was just like normal. And even when I felt full, because of course I could eat to a point of feeling full when I was vegan, it wasn't like I was eating tiny little portions, like I would eat and eat until I felt really full. But now that I'm eating like really nutrient-dense foods and nutrient-dense foods that my body has really been craving, I, I know now the definition of full. And it's not what I thought it was when I was vegan. It's not the same at all. Where now I can eat a meal and I eat until I'm full and there's a fullness that feels like a restfulness in my body that will stay with me for many hours after I've finished that meal, like a real feeling of contentment, of just restful fullness. And I never had that as a vegan. I just, I never did. And it's not something someone ever could have taught me or told me or informed me about. It was something I really had to experience in my own body. And I think, you know, something that I see in most people that have been vegan and then go away from that is this near obsession with eating animal foods. And Dennis and I both had that, kind of still have that. Uh, when I started eating butter again, I needed to eat butter with every meal and and so much of it. <laughs> like every food I cooked, I just needed it to be bathed in butter for the longest time. Now, like I eat bone broth, I drink as if I'm drinking water and I'm in the desert and I'm like, <laughs> you know, dehydrated. That's how I feel when I eat and drink bone broth like it's just like my like I'm replenishing something really deep inside that has just been screaming for nourishment and if I didn't feel that drastic of a shift then I wouldn't be as confident in in how I'm able to speak about this now and that this is the path for me where I don't want to restrict it restrict in any way I don't want to restrict ice cream. I don't want to restrict white bread. I don't want to restrict meat. I don't want to restrict eggs, dairy, vegetables, fruits, like no food. No food is out of the question for me anymore. All food is food. Everything feels that feels good to my body to eat, I'm going to eat. And uh, And yeah, I feel really happy about that. And of course, there is a component to this of like, well, animal cruelty, and I don't want to participate in any way to factory farming or bad animal practices. But I have understood now that for me to actually thrive, an animal has to die. And that's a really took, I mean, it's taken two years for me to arrive at that knowing and also be able to say that because I was so ingrained in that no animal should ever, ever, ever have to die for me to to live my life. And now I just think in terms of just being a human being, like I think it's wired into our DNA that that's what, what, what we need to eat. I think that's what we need to actually thrive. And I know vegans will hate me for it and people will think it's, you know, the stupidest thing and it's not true. And we can eat man-made fake meats and we can eat soy and we can eat other things and we can thrive just as well. And for me, I just know that that definition of thrive is not thriving for me. And I want to thrive and I need to thrive. And I think that includes being part of a food chain where there is animal foods and animal proteins involved. And that's going to mean 
some level of death like has to happen there. And, um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's weird to be where I am right now after having been that version of a vegan for so long, but I also can't really debate it anymore. Like I can't, yeah, I, I can't question it. I just, I, I'm in a place where I literally cannot question it anymore, knowing how I feel now compared to how I felt then. And any ex-vegan that I talk to feels exactly the same way. So it's just, it's just something that I think has to happen. I think it's a shift we are in. We should all continue to look at our food systems and how we are sourcing the food on our plates in every single way. Absolutely. I think that's super important. But I could never go back to depriving myself of the things I know now that I need to actually thrive in my body. And I'm not in a place where I would allow myself to, to be depleted or to get a little bit sick or to, to not thrive, to live in a suboptimal way, um, to save the lives of animals that I think we are meant to be eating. And um, yeah, I think that's where I leave it for now because I haven't also arrived. I'm not in that place either where like, oh, I want to raise my own meat here that I would butcher myself or go hunting myself and... No, I haven't arrived there yet, but I could actually see going toward that place because that's ultimately, optimally where I think I would like to be as I would like to eat mainly game and I would like to hunt for that myself and I would like to be part of that cycle and part of that food chain and be intimate with that as much as I possibly can and not removed from that, that death and that life that happens in, in this exchange. But I'm not there yet. Step one is going to be having our, our own chickens, which is going to be March of next year, maybe April. Um, and then I'm going to take it from there. So yeah, that's where I am. That's kind of current little update on um, veganism and food. And, and I think just the answer to this for anyone listening who is debating or wondering, I think if you're contemplating changing your diet for any reason, there is a reason for that. The same way there was a reason why I went vegan in the first place. I was not feeling good and I was searching for something that would help me feel good. And I was going from uh, eating mainly fully processed fast foods to being a raw vegan. Of course, I felt different. You know, of course, something major shifted in my body because I made a 180 shift, you know, in what I was doing and eating. And I started thinking about what was on my plate. It made a big difference. But then fast forward a few years and it wasn't what was actually, it wasn't a sustainable diet for me. And I think if we start to think that, okay, something maybe has to change, there is a reason for that. So what is it that is not feeling good? And can you arrive at a place where you actually listen to what your body says as you react and respond to the food that you're eating versus listening to what the internet says? And getting back to that where it's just body led and intuitively um, yeah, where we eat in an intuitive way. And I think that has to happen just one plate of food at a time, probably. And you might eat something that feels, no, you know, this didn't make a big shift for me or this didn't feel like the right thing for me. Then trust that. The only one who knows what's best for you is you. So yes. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Let's take uh, another question. Hi, Rachel. Um, my name is Michelle. I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and I've been following you from the very beginning since you were first on Instagram. Um, I could ask you a million and one questions, so it's really hard to come up with one. Um, what I'm going to say, though, is at your all your podcasts recently, or not all of them, but some of them, I feel like you keep saying, oh, my content's so boring, and, you know, I'm not giving you guys any anything to take home from this. But um, I am also, you know, in my mom era, I just had my second home birth out of three kids. Um, and honestly, I value your podcast so much. Um, I'm going to get emotional. Sorry. Um, it's, I look forward to it every week. It is something that just makes me so happy. And it's great to connect with another mom who has the same values as far as, you know, nutrition for their kids and, um, you know, things that you do at home. And I'm also, I used to be vegan and, um, I kind of went to the complete opposite end of the spectrum of that and I'm not anymore and, you know, feeling great. And, you know, we just started doing chickens a couple of years ago for eggs and um, grow our food and herbs. So I just resonate with so much that you go through in your life so much. Um, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because your podcast is so valuable and I'm probably not, you know, the only mom out there that sees so much value in what you have to give. So give yourself some grace. You are my saving grace once a week, and I just love you. And sorry for crying. <laughs> um, okay, that's it. Have a great day. <laughs> oh, Michelle. <laughs> well, now I'm crying. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time just to... You took the time out of your day to call this little number and tell me that. <laughs> you really didn't have to do that, and you did. Thank you. Thank you. That really does mean a whole lot. Yeah, you know, this has been, it's, it's on my mind a lot. A way for me to know that I'm in a space where I'm doubting myself a lot is when I... I'll start a podcast and I'll start talking and then I, I press stop and I'm like, that was dumb. And I start over again. <laughs> and in my more kind of regular phases in life, that never happens. Literally, I'll just press play and I talk and I'm here and I'm present and then I'm done. And, and then I don't really think about that anymore. It's like, yeah, I recorded a podcast. It was great. Let's go. And um, a, a really sure way for me to know that I'm in that place of self-doubt is... I come to record the show and I have like five false starts <laughs> where I start and then I start to second, like I, it's almost like I hear myself talking, like I leave, I'm not present anymore and I start to go on the outside looking at myself like, what am I talking about? This doesn't make sense or no one's going to care about this or, and I have that inner critical voice just gets really loud. And then I, I hit stop on the recorder and like, no, this was just stupid. Ugh, like, what am I doing? And then I take a break and I go drink some water or, I, you know, and then I come back like, okay, let's try again. 
and um i only ever do that when i'm when i'm in that place of 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 massive just critical judgment and i am that's where i am right now and yeah I, <laughs> it's obviously very obvious since since i've shared it in pretty much every podcast over the past couple of weeks yeah i um uh, so first of all thank you just for Thank you for calling me out on that a little bit and for your gratitude and for listening and for, yeah, taking the time to share this with me. I um, I don't know why I'm feeling so self-critical right now. And I really am. I'm in a, a critical space, not just about what I'm sharing, but absolutely that. Yeah, I am as I sit here with the show, even though I hear from so many of you every week that you're loving this version of the podcast and it's not at all boring and it's really valuable. And, you know, I, I hear that, but my inner critic tells me no. My inner critic tells me this is not good enough. The, the, the things I'm sharing with the world are not good enough. My presence on social media is not good enough. Like I have this kind of back of my head idea that I should be yeah, I should be doing just more mindful, more time-consuming content. I should be doing something more valuable. Like actually people, why are people even following along? There's so many more better accounts to follow where people pay, make a bigger effort in what they share and where they're more focused and they're actually sharing really valuable things. And I used to do that and I used to spend lots of times making videos and doing little photo shoots and spending so much time writing. Like I barely write anymore at all. And I have it in the back of my mind, like all the time, like I'm just not doing a good enough job there. But I'm also self-critical in, in every other way too. Like I'm, I'm in a very critical place about my body right now, especially this past week where I haven't been able to really move. I've just been sick, not feeling good. I told Dennis this morning, like, I can't believe my mind is in such a bad place after just six days of not having this self-care practice that I've been so good at keeping. Like, I six days and of not having that because I've had a fever and just not been good. And I just, um, I feel like the worst person ever. <laughs> it, it, I hate that it takes so little for me to feel so bad about myself. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I have no like end, you know, big revelation here or like big fix of, yeah, yeah. And here's how I solved that. Like, no, I'm just in a place right now where my inner critic is very, very loud. I'm even, uh, I was invited this week to uh, an event, <laughs> like, a, like a little gala, actually, like a fancy party thing for a really good cause like a celebrity little thing. And I would love to go. I even like asked Dennis, like, could, could he, could we go to Stockholm and he could be with Finn? It's at a good hour of the day and everything. But I have nothing to wear. Okay. And not just in that, like, I have nothing to wear. Oh my God. Even though we have a closet full of clothes, like I have nothing to wear. And I feel like my body is not in a place where I'm going to find something that I feel beautiful in right now. So I'm not going to go. <laughs> I mean, this is just such a, yeah, really potent example of, of just the space I'm in. And uh, I want to snap out of that. I want to, 
feel good, not just, you know, I want to feel good in my body. I want to feel beautiful in the clothes that I have. I want to feel vibrant and confident in what I'm sharing with the world and the work that I'm doing. And I'm not right now. No, I'm literally in a place where I'm like, I'd rather stay home and like wear my sweatpants because I feel like, uh, what do they call the the Shrek? What's Shrek again? Shrek and Fiona. <laughs> like a swamp monster? No, they are called an ogre. Okay, yeah, I would rather stay home in my sweatpants because I feel like an ogre right now. And I can laugh at that, but also like I kind of could cry about that because it sucks and it's kind of sad. And objectively, I know like I'm a beautiful woman and I have a lot to offer and etc. <laughs> etc. Yeah, etc. Just kind of sums it up. But yeah, it's not where my brain is in any way. So um, Michelle, thank you so much for saying that. And um it does make a difference, truly. It does to hear it. Like it, it, it hits me straight in the in the heart, and it makes me feel like, okay, you know, I got the podcast down, and there's so many people out there who feel the way I do and who resonate, and we are. I'm not alone in this in this space, but I do feel like I need to. I need some kind of little shift to snap out of this really critical space that I'm in. And I know a big part of that is a big, you know, a really big part of feeling good in our bodies is just moving the energy in our bodies. And I think I'm in a place right now where the need for me to do that is much bigger than it normally is because, because it's, it's kind of all I have <laughs> right now. I don't have a lot of big purposeful things happening in my life that make me feel good in other ways. Like I'm just home with this baby, not feeling awesome, right? So the moment now I fell out of moving moving my body, I, I go straight into ogre town, apparently. So yeah, okay, I'm going to start rambling, but that's kind of where I am right now and what I'm working on. So I guess if you're in a similar place, if you also are in ogre town, know you are not alone and know that probably the solution to that is not to go on a diet, not to go down a rabbit hole of all the ways you have to fix yourself or change yourself because then you'll feel good enough. Like the solution to that is to go inward and to tend to the heart, really, which I have been really good at doing um, I, in my little window of self-care every morning. And now that I haven't had it for a week, I feel really lost. And um, I'm glad today is the first day I feel a little bit better. So I think I'm going to do my best to give myself some grace today and yeah who knows maybe find a gala dress because <laughs> that's a that's a reasonable thing to do right thank you thank you all this is a long podcast again I could take five more questions but I'm not gonna I'm gonna gonna let you return to the rest of your day but thank you so much for being here truly 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 and thanks for reminding me that you actually like to be here <laughs> that you're not listening to this podcast every single week because I'm forcing you to, that you actually enjoy being present here with me. It really changes my life. So thank you. Have a wonderful weekend and um, I'll be back next week. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.